Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast, an extension of our adult Sunday school ministry and stories of grace. Pastor Brandon here, along with Pastor Steve. Hey there. And we are committed to utilizing this platform to continue our church's rich tradition of deep theological teaching through our adult Sunday school ministry. Though this unique season of following Jesus has not been without its share of challenges, we hope that you will tune in weekly to dive deeper into the scriptures as we hear from the vast array of teachers that we are blessed to call family here at Grace Church. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever it is that you are tuning in. Welcome to the Grace Church podcast. Uh, we are pleased to have Ben Fletter, Dr. Ben Fletter, join us uh, this morning for us, um, walking through or uh, giving some helpful thoughts on the book of Revelation. Uh, Dr. Ben has actually taught this class at church. I have not sat in on the class. I wish I, I wish I had sat in on that that class, but hopefully we'll be able to get a little bit of a preview of uh, some of the the. Uh, big themes or, or helpful thoughts, uh, overview thoughts from that class. So, Dr. Ben, welcome. Thank you. And of course, we are joined uh, as well by Pastor Brandon, and we'll have uh, we'll have Q and R time tomorrow. Yeah, I I actually did get to sit on a couple sessions of your Revelation class, and it was awesome. So I'm looking forward to this. Well, thanks. This will be your chance, Pastor Steve, uh, but it won't take near as much time, so that's, uh, that's good. <laughs> so uh, we are living in disorienting times, I think it's fair to say. Um, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. We're seeing climate disruption, wildfires that uh, more than, than I remember in recent years, hurricanes, uh, that they run out of numbers of letters of the alphabet to name them. Um, uh, we've seen the, the the specter of injustice in our society um, coming into our view again. Um, we're seeing responses to that, unrest, violence in the streets, um, division, political tension. Um, and that's really just in... in in our own country, in the world, there are tensions uh, between nations and and things uh, that really are are more than I think I've seen in in my lifetime. And I've heard people say, "Well, this just 2020 seems apocalyptic." Hmm. And of course, when I when I hear that, it makes me think of of uh, the Book of Revelation, and uh, which the, the Greek title was the Apocalypse. And the question is, does the book of Revelation have something to teach us as we live today? To understand the message of the book, um, it's really helpful to, to ask, what kind of book is it? And we do that with, with any and every book in the Bible. Uh, just a couple of examples. You look at the book of Luke, and, and Luke in the first few verses clearly sets out this is going to be narrative history. It's going to be an, it's going to contain eyewitness accounts. It's going to be an orderly account. Mm. He addresses it to a specific person. When we go to the Psalms, we know we're going to see poetry, and we have to think about it uh, in those terms. Um, we go to the Old Testament prophets, and and we know we're dealing with prophetic literature, and often statements that start with things like. Um, thus says the Lord. Mm. Uh, uh, much of the New Testament, of course, is comprised of letters from Paul and other apostles to the churches. 
And these were addressing specific situations in those churches, but also were very relevant to all of us. And of course, all of these in whatever genre they are, are God's Word inspired for them in their time and for us and for for all time. So what kind of book is the book of Revelation? It's uh, Scholars have, have pointed out that it, it's really a couple of different types of literature. One is it's clearly as prophecy. It is very much in the tradition of and full of allusions and references to the Old Testament prophets, especially Ezekiel and Daniel. Uh, it's also a type of literature called uh, apocalypse, and that was pretty common back in the first century, in, in my understanding, and really that was the revealing of a vision. Apocalypse means to remove a cover, to unveil something. Um, and, and finally, and, and I think sometimes, we, at least I have missed this over the years until until the last few years and started studying Revelation a little bit more, this is a letter. It's a pastoral letter uh, from the author, who we believe was the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So it's from a specific pastor now, maybe more like a regional um, bishop or elder who's overseeing a number of churches, and he writes it to a specific group of churches. He names them. They were in uh, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And so it was written in a specific time for a specific uh, set of circumstances and purpose. And then, of course, it, it also is for us. Um, we read in, in Revelation 1-4, John uh, says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace, uh, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. So the situation was that these churches were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They were living in the empire, and uh, they were increasingly in the first and then into the second century um, under pressure to conform. They were under great economic pressure, sometimes being required to do certain things, give certain allegiances to the empire or emperor, uh, even up to and including sacrifices and worship to the emperor in order to carry on their business, their commerce. And so there was this demand of allegiance. Uh, There was also a a lot of false teaching around um, people um, both within and without uh, and outside of the church who were who were teaching things that were false. And so this is a letter that John wrote, and he clearly expected his first century hearers to understand. Mm -hmm. And we read all this imagery um, in the book, and and we try and and grasp it. Um, But in the first century, the illusions that were there would have been much more clear to them. They were talking about things, first and foremost, that were going on at the time. And John also says, uh, early in the book, he says, Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So it was a book to be kept, or really the other way to say that is to be obeyed. It was a book that should be heard, understood, and then obeyed. And so one way to think of it uh, is it was to be read in real time. 
in the first century. Uh, it's, in my view, it's not primarily a book to reveal timelines of future events, although it, it certainly depicts future judgment, and, and that's a critical theme. Um, but it's, it's really a book to help people live their lives in difficult times, like the first century, and frankly, like the 21st century. Mm. So what about us? Um, first, uh, we, can, uh, we can learn from seeing these churches in the first century and their situation. Um, as has often been said, history repeats itself, right? Um, Rome won't be the last empire uh, or society to demand allegiance or to seduce God's people into compromise. Laodicea won't be the last lukewarm church. And so uh, believers of all time can relate to aspects of the first century situation and benefit directly from John's warning and encouragement. Um, and second, the, the promise of future judgment and salvation uh, remains future for us, just like it was for them. And so, so this book is, is uh, very relevant for us as well. And so in, in, a, in a definite sense, we can read Revelation in real time also. So the question then is when you're living in a world that seems apocalyptic, it's frightening, um, there are seductive philosophies um, all around, um, on every end of the spectrum. There is pressure for believers to conform to certain things. In some places, there's outright persecution. Uh, I, I don't think we should say that lightly. I don't think that, that we are experiencing persecution that's really anything close to what the, they were in the first century. Um, but it's certainly possible that at some point we will, um, and it is, um, it's definitely true that in many places in the world that is going on now. So when you're in that situation, what message do you need? Um, likely, uh, the message we need is the same one that, that John's hearers needed initially. So uh, the, the key, I think, to reading the book of Revelation is to read the first, chap first three chapters and really begin to understand what those churches were like, what they were facing, and then read the rest of the book, chapters 4 through 22, and, and in there we draw out um, how does this relate now to us and, and what, what's the heart of this vision that John had. And, uh, and I'd like to just uh, highlight four key truths from, from chapters 4 through 22 that we'll briefly talk about, and then uh, in our next session we'll, we'll go into a little more detail as we have time. Uh, first, God is in control. Secondly, Christ alone is worthy to redeem. Um, third, judgment is certain. And finally, number four, salvation is assured. So, so let's just look briefly at those. First, God is in control. This is uh, seen uh, most clearly in chapter four, but it's really throughout the entire book. Um, if chapters one to three are the key to understanding the book, then the then chapters four and five are, are the foundation, I would say, of the, uh, of the book of Revelation. In chapter four, John is ushered into the throne room of heaven, and he sees a vision. He sees um, 
um, angels and beings called elders that uh, seem to represent maybe um, the the uh, uh, twelve tribes of Israel as well as uh, maybe the twelve apostles. There are twenty four of them. Uh, it's not completely clear who those are, but they're called elders. There are uh, various creatures that may signify just the fullness of God's creation all around the throne. And and we read the familiar refrain, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So we see God enthroned as the creator of all things, absolute sovereign. He is not dead. He is not replaced. Um, and this serves as, as, first of all, a tremendous comfort to those who are being persecuted or who are suffering. Um, but it also serves as a warning to those who are tempted to compromise. Um, so God is in control. And ne- next, um, uh, I want to highlight Christ alone is worthy, and we see this in verse 5, and, and I can't say this without thinking about Andrew Peterson's uh, song, Is He Worthy, that, that we've sung, um, that, that just capsulizes chapter 5. But chapter 5, it opens with a presentation of a scroll, and this scroll um, apparently has God's plan for bringing judgment and salvation um, uh, on the earth, and, and there's a tension that develops as people ask who is worthy to un- unseal the scroll. And, and initially it looks like nobody is, and then a voice calls to John and says, the Lion of Judah, uh, he um, has conquered and is, is worthy. And, and, and so John turns and looks, and instead of a lion, what he sees is a lamb who was slain. And so we just see this picture of, of Christ the Lion of Judah and the Lamb who was slain both. And, and John says, uh, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And the chapter then ends with all of heaven worshiping the Lamb. And one of the key issues here is, is who was worthy of the allegiance of heaven and earth? Um, in the first century, the emperor claimed it, um, and it might have been enticing. The people might have thought by giving their allegiance to this emperor, they'd be protected. They could then carry on their affairs. Um, but chapter 5 tells us only Christ is worthy of our ultimate allegiance. So God is in control. Christ alone is worthy. And then, in really, in chapters 6 through 20, judgment is certain. The backbone of this section is the familiar um, judgments of the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, seven of each. And these are, are telescoping cycles of judgment. They're, they're not apparently chronological but they're repetitive and intensifying judgments that are spoken um, upon the earth. Um, they, are, they are told in visions, 
They're highly symbolic. They're, they're metaphorical. But again, I think it's really important to say that, that the first century hearers would have understood and, um, and been able to, to see what, who these visions represented for the most part, uh, maybe not entirely. But, uh, but for example, um, the, the city of Rome, the empire of Rome, the emperor, the people of God— um, and of course, the Messiah, Christ Himself, were um, are all actors in in these visions, and and that would have been clear in the first century, uh, more than maybe it is to us. Um, and then there may be secondary references to emperors, empires that come later as well that 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 fit this same kind of pattern. Uh, there's a key metaphor in this in in this whole section, and that is the the person or the concept of Babylon. Babylon is depicted as a prostitute, um, full of all kinds of iniquity, and um, and and Babylon really historically was the, the quintessential empire of men. It was um, you remember Nebuchadnezzar and uh, and uh, the Book of Daniel interacting there. Um, but Babylon represented empire and the, the efforts of men, um, often in opposition to God. Um, in first century, in the first century, clearly that was the Roman Empire. Um, but I think it also represents also any and all human empires, and uh, to especially to the extent that they Im- embody the values of Babylon, and, and those just listing a few are demonic influence and immorality, which refers also not, to, uh, not only to sexual immorality, but uh, to seductive power and opulence and selfishness. Self, it was self-glorifying, as all empires are, uh, oppressive, materialistic, this phrase is said it, they were drunk with the blood of the saints, so they were prone to persecute, mm. and and it's highlighted as well that their sins even included slavery and, tra- and trafficking in human souls. Uh, the text says, but the end of eight, chapters eighteen, nineteen, and twenty then end. One of the key uh, phrases then is the, this statement: "Babylon is fallen, is fallen." So the the empires of men are finally brought to judgment in the book of Revelation. So God is in control. Only Christ is worthy. Judgment is certain. And finally, salvation is assured. And, and this is uh, some of the, the um, most encouraging and, and sweetest uh, section of the book of Revelation, um, chapters 21 and 22. So the end of chapter 20, Christ's return to defeat the empires of man has led to the presentation now of his bride. And we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband." And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, 
and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And the key metaphor here, of course, is the beautiful bride of Christ. And what a contrast between the bride of Christ and the prostitute Babylon. And the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, really is the redeemed people of God from all time, of all nations, of all people and ethnic groups. And, and they are depicted by, they, they, they demonstrate perfection, righteousness, and, and the presence of God as we see the eternal kingdom of God finally fully realized. So then, in conclusion, what were the believers in the first century to do, and and what about us? And um, one of the phrases that's repeated seven times, actually, in in the Book of Revelation, is is um, a call to patient endurance, and uh, that's such an important theme. Um, the um, from the first century through now, think of all the, the times in history and the ways that the church, that Christians have faced difficulty of every kind. I mean, um, pestilence and pandemics are not new, um, and in fact, in earlier times were much more devastating. Um, persecutions, war, um, famine, the kind of things that we see in these judgments pronounced on earth and through all of those times through all history, the call to the church was patient endurance, faith, trusting God, um, and living out that, that now and not yet of the kingdom of God. Um, in, in fact, and I'll close with this, the, the key verse, I think, in Revelation, and, and this is just to me, the, the key verse is the... the is chapter 11, verse 15. It says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And it said, has become. And that was before all the judgments played out. Um, So the kingdom did come. Christ came and ushered in his kingdom. But he told us it would start like a mustard seed, and it would grow slowly, and, and it wouldn't always be as expected. It certainly wasn't as expected by his followers at first, and, and maybe it's not always like we expect it, and they tried at times to rush it and in, uh, to get to overthrow the Romans right away. That Some of them wanted that to happen, um, and, and we try to rush it as well maybe, but, but our call is to patient endurance, living in the now, and the not yet. The fulfillment of all these things will come, for sure, but they'll come in his time and in his way. Thanks so much, Ben.